had trays, tons and tons of trays, tons of pens, tons of pencils. That was really refreshing to be around. Not everything was just the computer. Bob didn't like we were on the computer too often. <laughs> we were researching on, on what he called the Google. And who's Bob, you might ask? Well, that's an endearing nickname for Robert A. Stern, and he's a big deal. What we architects refer to as a Starkitect. That's an architect that's reached international fame and celebrity-like status. Carlos has worked for not one, but two architecture firms in New York since graduating. And he's our inside look at working for an international firm doing work all around the world. Projects so big that the teams work around the clock, and when the architects in the Chinese office finish their day, the office in New York picks up where they left off. Carlos is an observer. He's always framed life through his camera lens and excels at industrial scale designs and printmaking. So let's hear about Carlos's journey now. All right, friends, 10 Colleagues, 10 Years is a podcast series where I interview 10 of my colleagues from architecture school 10 years after graduating. We all went to Texas A&M University and received a degree from the College of Architecture, but ended up in drastically different places. This podcast is a celebration of what a non-traditional architecture degree offers for the skills that it teaches. It's 10 individual stories of navigating a career path that's meant to be inspirational. And when I personally started my own architecture practice earlier this year, I attribute some of my success to this kind of degree program. So I hope that you get the same sort of inspiration from these stories, and thanks for listening. I'm Heather Pogue, and this is 10 Colleagues, 10 Years. Hello. Hey. Hey, it works perfectly. <laughs> so thanks for agreeing to participate. No problem. Absolutely. I start each episode by telling a story about the person, a memory that oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> a memory that I have. It's not bad. It's good. Uh-huh. My story for you isn't a specific memory, but it's yeah. you always having your camera. Even before we really got to know each other, I remember you always having your camera. Maybe it started a little bit later in architecture school. You're always observing and always watching, and you saw an opportunity everywhere you looked. So I always admired that, and I always thought that was a great quality for an architect to have, to be an observer and have that lens of approaching it from a viewer perspective. Oh, my God. It's not really until somebody actually says something that you realize that. Because in my second year at, no, my second semester at RISD. RISD is an acronym. It stands for the prestigious Rhode Island School of Design in Providence. They encourage students to approach design from multi-disciplines and offer classes in printmaking, photography, furniture making, etc. We did a design build Mm -hmm. and I was tasked with documenting or one of the people that was in charge of taking photos because my professor actually said the same thing because he was like, I always see you with your camera on uh, on you when you're taking all these photos. I would like to see what it is exactly you're taking photos of in progress so that we could put it in a book at the end of the project. Which I guess is kind of full circle. It's still something that I carry with me today. And now the iPhone has made it a lot easier for people to document their surroundings. It's something that I always do, even like in the mundane, I have this series that I, the small video that I do every day of me leaving the Hearst Tower. So I take the, it's the waterfall as you're, as you're exiting down the escalators in the lobby, you're surrounded by water pretty much. So I always 
take this small video every day and I post it on Instagram because I, I just find it fascinating. It's I actually sort of... noticed that and I thought, why is this? Is, I got to tell Carlos there's a glitch in his Instagram account. It's showing me the same video every same day. Same story. And you're not the first person to say that. I feel like I've gotten it from multiple people and it's, it's nothing wrong. It's what is the opportunity? <laughs> it's like there's something there. And I, I think people want to see something like find the difference or whatever. That's not the point, right? Yeah, it's not the point. It's more about the experience. Yeah, and we had cell phones, but they were pre-good camera days. So you always had your camera, you were wearing it kind of as a shoulder. I don't know what you call those, a lariat. Yeah, I actually have it right here. And I took it with me to Guatemala. But I think it was Barcelona. It was that trip. The learning curve for that thing was tremendous. It was mm-hmm. like, what am I doing? I just want to take normal pictures. But, and then stopping the group to get like a good photo is always really annoying. So you just have to learn how to do it in stride. There's an art to it. <laughs> and then my first question is sort of an icebreaker question, silly but also kind yeah. of serious, is what was your fairy word? Harmonious was my fairy word. And I think about that project almost on a daily basis. If you think about it all the time, what aspects do you think about? What was so influential? I think it was because it was the first. So I did the summer crash course where we had to do all of fall and spring semester during the summertime because I was in general studies my first year at A&M. So I didn't take any studios my first year. I started taking construction science and ENDS 115 which was the drawing course and construction science in the springtime, but I didn't have any studio. So in the summertime, I took the first studio with Carlos Ramers. And then the second part of the summer, I did fairy. So it was all really quick and sudden. Oh, to and get caught up with everyone else to start yeah, your sophomore get, year on exactly, track. Exactly. I, don't remember, so I didn't I remember this about your story. Plot twist. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember a lot of people saying, because there was like a lot of rumors floating that, you know, oh, this is going to be really hard. This is going to be really rough. It's already hard enough as it is during the regular school year. In the summertime, it's going to be twice as hard. That already in itself, because like we were like this group, this bunch, in the summertime, it was a lot to take in at once. And um, it was compressed. Yeah, exactly. Why it was really memorable was because it was the first one. It was because of the summertime. You know, everything was going like a million miles an hour. Because we started from a word. And before that, I took all these classes in high school that were just AutoCAD-based, right? So mm-hmm. I was just reproducing drawings that I would find that my teacher would give us. He would just give us, like, a house or whatever. And we would just try to replicate it. And, like, maybe if we wanted to, we would add stuff to it. And I guess you could say design mm-hmm. part of it. And to me, up to that point, that was like design. That was what architecture was. So I had this clear idea. And then to be hit with a word, I was like, what is this? And then we had to do the black and white drawing, which was, again, a lot of fun. And then we had to make the house based on the word that we had. So we all had to tie in together. You just couldn't like willy-nilly or just make something because you thought it was nice. It had to be relevant sort of common theme or common thread i think that's when it hit me i was like oh there's more this is like an involved process it's like there's more to it 
sometimes is copy pasting, which is, I don't need to say that that isn't because architecture is a very vast and varied profession. It involves a lot of work, but this was just a different side to it. Yeah, it kind of opened your eyes a bit to a different facet. Well, one, would you say harmonious was a good word for you to describe you? And two, would you have picked it now or would you say you're still harmonious? I think it was a good word because we wrote a statement. We passed it around. Somebody else wrote my statement, who I still remember to this day, who are named nameless. (laughs) (laughs) When they finished, very looked at me because I think everybody was saying like other words that were pretty similar but then he was like no you're it's pretty harmonious yeah you know what I think that was pretty good that was like pretty spot on I would have picked it today I think that is something unique about you so far I think a lot of people have had some regret about their word or some almost some vengeance Either the interpretation of the word wasn't what they wanted from the class or the word wasn't what they had picked for themselves because people kind of voted on it. So it's good to hear that you actually enjoyed your word and would still have it today. (laughs) You can't really take it personally. And plus, like, we're so young, too. Like, what do we know? That was the thing. It was, like, more people got really hung up on how well it described them as a person to the core rather than it being a design prompt. Yeah, exactly. And things like that, you're supposed to just take them and run with it. Like, that's part of the exercise. This next question is a little bit more nebulous. Is try and describe for the audience your best way of summarizing architecture school because it's so unique and different. I'm trying to get a feel from each person for what it meant to them just because the education is pretty interesting. Describe it like... Like, how would you describe your time in school, how you learned to hone your skills, maybe, is a good place to start? When I think about my education, I think about it in part. For instance, I had, like, me high school, which I started in CAD, and then undergrad, which was A&M, so that's, like, part two, and then part three was RISD. And so in high school, it was just basically a thing of interest. Because we had to make the decision basically in middle school. They had these, what they called career pathways. And you had to pick one. Either it was like medicine, engineering, architecture, law, I think. This is like eighth grade too. So like that puts you into this track. And so I started CAD classes in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. And then in eighth grade, I was like, sure. Yeah, for sure. Architecture, this is what I want to do. So then that began. Then I started A&M. And in A&M, I really, describe that. Obviously, it was like learning how to use my hands, drawing, for instance. And 115, I remember a lot because I was actually learning one point perspective. And another part of A&M that I really enjoyed were the history classes. Because I ended up getting a history minor. I think I would later find out that, you know, history is one of my general interests even if it's not related to architecture. RISD, I think, was just like, yikes. Because <laughs> <laughs> that in one word, yikes. Well, because I feel like at A&M it was so regimented and it was so, you know, everything was, the curriculum was very organized, the studio structure was very organized, even like the grading procedure and like the process, it was like 
very, very meticulous in how it was set up. I just felt that there was like a clear, this is what I have to do to get an A, this is what I have to do to get a B. It was set up that way where you kind of knew, I don't want to say it was predictable, but you kind of knew like what you were sort of walking into. I was actually talking about this to another person and it was technical in the sense where we had that one class at 211 and 211 where we were just learning how to use AutoCAD. Mm -hmm. This is a line. This is like the line tool. This is how you use this program. We're all going to make the same thing Mm -hmm. as a class Mm -hmm. and then we're going to get graded on it as soon as we finish. So in that sense, we did our history classes, we did our our English classes, we did our uh, calculus classes and it was like very regimented. And then I go to RISD. I think I wanted to go to RISD too at a because like I needed something that was like a complete opposite mm-hmm. sort of approach because at one end you had a which is very specific. And then like at RISD, things were just, since it was a smart art school, things were just very loose, mm-hmm. I want to say. I was able to waive classes that I already had taken at a and like structures and construction science. So I was able to get into furniture and to graphic design courses and, and interior architecture courses. But there, I want to say that, because I'm comparing this to like, so my AutoCAD class, right? At RISD, we had the Rhino version of that. But I would say, I didn't know Rhino at RISD. So they threw us in and they were like, okay, they treated it as a design studio. Here's a Diebenkorn. Diebenkorn. I also didn't know what this was or who this was. I later found out it was an American painter from California, Richard Diebenkorn. During the 20th century, he painted lyrical abstract landscapes showing light and color clearly influenced by his California surroundings. Here's a Diebenkorn. Make something. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, make something like what? You're going to take from this image and you're going to generate plans. You're going to generate sections. You're going to generate axons. I don't know what it's going to look like, but you're going to do it. And you're going to do it in this program. And I was just terrified because I didn't know how to use a program, much less like <laughs> I didn't even know who Dubincorn was. I was terrified. Yikes. It was over the top abstract then, would you say? Yeah. Well, the process was abstract yeah. because our first day in our first studio was tying knots. And then we had to tie knots and then from that we had to draw it in charcoal. And I had never used charcoal before in my life. Everybody in that room was like, Jesus, like an artist. And it was like, whoa, how was I supposed to compete? I was really, really scared. In high school, you had picked that career path for architecture. And so that sounds like it's what led you to go to architecture school in the first place. And so when you were at AM and RISD, what things were pivotal in your experiences there that kept you in the program or that kept you excited or that changed what you thought about architecture? At AM, it was, I think that I really enjoyed were the classes where we were asked to do more, to design more than the building and to see beyond the four walls that you make. Design also the logo, design this stair, design this canopy, design this partition, design Mm -hmm. the graphics to this book. And I think that's what what kept me motivated was that it didn't have to be just this project. It Mm -hmm. could be all these other things, which is why 
RISD was so attractive to me because not only did they have architecture in that campus, but they also had all these other disciplines that I could run off to. Like mm-hmm. I could run off to the printmaking studio and start silkscreening things for my thesis project. And I could make furniture for this one portion of one of my projects. And I could build this one tectonic and then multiply it multiple times to create other things. So I think that's what kept me going. We're seeing design in almost everything, not just in what we call or what we think of as architecture. It sounded like you were thinking traditional architect at the end of it. And as you went through, was that still the case? Or did you have other thoughts about what you would end up doing through your time at AM and RISD? Yeah, through your education time. So I did, and I feel like I still do halfway. (laughs) I do, yes, but I also see an eventual point where I'm making other things because I think that's what I want to do in addition to architecture. My experience in just architecture, I think that it's also graphic design and it's also product design and printmaking. Printmaking was a lot of fun. They took it my last year, and it, it was really nice to have as a break for thesis. And so then when you I got, got out, what did you end up doing? So I left RISD, and I started to work with Robert Stern for Architects two months after graduation. So you moved to New York. So every year, RISD has a portfolio review where all of these giant firms, not just only in architecture like Facebook and Apple also show up and Google Everybody like runs in with their portfolio looking for uh, full employment. And that's where Robertson Table picked up my portfolio and they were like, when can you start? Uh, what was your experience like there? So I was there for four and a half years. It was a great experience. I thought it was a wonderful learning experience because it was my first architecture job. I feel like I need to, to preface this with, so when I graduated from a and in 2008, I graduated knee deep or like waist deep in the recession because I was still in Texas I was trying to try and try to find work I ended up staying at stained glass studio for my time between undergrad and grad school so Stern was my first real architecture job like in a big city so I was like really just fished out of water I feel like I didn't know what like the corporate culture was going to be like I didn't know what reserving conference rooms or consultant phone calls where it'd be like what an HR department is. I didn't know any, like all of those basic office things were. So that was like a huge eye opener. And of course, like working in New York or in itself, like something else. Yeah. That's another thing to tackle. (laughs) That's like another thing to tackle on the subways and moving to the city. But like after getting used to it and after getting into the rhythm, what I did really appreciate was how much research they did. Bob was, a, he was a dean at Yale and he was very adamant about researching and precedence research and, and studying what exactly it is. He wanted to see where all of your ideas came from and he wanted to have them present on board so that he could make the clear distinction between where you got this and how it influenced your final product, your design. And then of course, Working there, the sketching and hand sketching and drawing and drafting was also very, very important. When I felt like that reminded me a lot of my experience at RISD. So we could, I mean, we had a main line 
at our desks, we had we had trays, tons and tons of trays, tons of pens, tons of pencils. That was really refreshing to be around because mm-hmm. not everything was just the computer. Bob didn't like we were on the computer too often. <laughs> we were researching on, on what he called the Google. That's another thing, too. He has like this giant library. It's like a valuable resource that he has in the office. And people would often go into the library and research different buildings, different, different case studies to help out with their projects. And how big is the office? They're 300, I think. Okay. So multi-floors and multi-departments. Yeah, that's like, there's like 14 partners, I believe. I was in one of the studios that did a lot of work in China, but I was able to move, to move around. There was this one project that I needed to get a CA hours for. CA is common slang in architecture. It officially stands for construction administration. And this is how the architect is involved in construction. They oversee the build out of their designs and help problem solve along with the contractor. It's a part of the checks and balances between the architect, owner, and contractor to see that the project is built with the design intent intact. When apprenticing as an intern architect, CA hours are required as part of your hours you log to become a licensed architect. So I was able to work on the Yale Residential Colleges because it was like this project that had been going on for, for quite some time and it so happened to be on CA when I was there. So I did like a six-week rotation sounds like if you had like a takeaway, it would be like your research-based design and all the precedent studies were really critical yeah. to you learning yeah. the process. Yeah, exactly. And it, was, and it was something that I wasn't really exposed to either prior to that because I felt like at RISD, everything was very, very abstract. And then here, we needed like a, a clear path from start to finish. And did you have any good mentors while you were there? I did, I did. One of the people that hired me was a very valuable resource. They were like, this is how, basically giving me a list of like things of office protocol, how they did things at Ramsar versus how they did them in other offices. They would often take us out to lunch to like gauge our experiences, to see how we were doing. And then other peers too, that would sort of, that were already licensed that would tell me their experiences with getting licensed, which is daunting in itself. Yeah. And you've been taking a lot of your exams while you were there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they had the resources for that and other people taking them. Yeah, yeah. Can you talk about what you're doing now? So now, as of two, almost going on three months, I left, made the really tough, it was a very hard decision. I left Stern for Norman Foster. I'm like getting into it, learning new programs, working again in Rhino, working in Revit, and working on a project in Toronto. Norman Foster's is based in, in London. It's a it's a satellite office. So we were about like 40, 35 to 40 people, and we are on half of the floor of the Hearst Tower. So yeah, I went from like three floors that's turn to half of one. Yeah. And so how is the culture different there? I feel like just because it's so much smaller, it's a little more intimate too, because everybody that I'm working with, everybody on my team 
is within like a two foot radius. Everybody is right next to me. There's no like going upstairs or downstairs. Everybody is very, very helpful. It's very, very casual too in that like, you know, if we just need, if we have a meeting, we just like meet in one of the conference rooms. There's no like calendar invites. So there's no mm-hmm. like, you know, none of this. I want to say bureaucracy. <laughs> yeah, so kind but of. Kind of, right? It just happens. Yeah. It's just like if we need somebody, we, we go to their desk, if we have a question, we can just go to the source. More open and direct. Yeah. Can you describe the projects you're working on at Stern versus the ones you're working on now? Yeah, the projects that I was working on at Stern were all in China. We, we had a lot of foreign work. Well, the studio that I was working in was all foreign. It was a lot of mid to high density work, primarily done in SketchUp and AutoCAD. And it was all fairly classical and fairly traditional, as the style is at Stern. And the last project that I was working on was like for private residents, like small residential project in Hong Kong. Again, very classical for mm-hmm. very, very high end client. And now I'm working on a 44 story tower in Toronto, which is all done in Revit. Design options are done in, in China. The client comes in about once a month to meet with us. We meet with consultants about every week. We have a consultant coordination meeting. And that's something that at Foster, I feel like I'm getting more of, more FaceTime with the client, more FaceTime with the consultant. Um, because with our foreign client at Stern, we would kind of just hand everything off and then they would kind of pick up and go from there. The uh, studio well, I, in least, China. Yeah, it's in China. I, I, at least I didn't have any interaction with any of the consultants or the clients just because we would just make packets for the partner and the partner would fly every two months or so to China. Yeah. It'd be a very different process in that scale of yeah. work and also the process of how you deliver things to a client. Yeah. And yeah. to to a yeah. contractor when it's that far away and there's like multiple phases of issuing yeah. things and building things. I mean it was very interesting to see like they would build things because the construction process over there just goes by so quickly mm-hmm. because they have so many hands on deck and we would just get photos and now the structure's up and now like the cladding is up a time ago. <laughs> yeah. And like, no, like they just put the marble in. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was your favorite part about what you did at Stern or what have you liked the most out of the two jobs so far? Like, what do you feel fulfilled at Stern, I got to work on the stained glass for the Yale colleges. So I was able to use my experience that I had in Texas that I was doing in between in between undergrad and grad. And I was able to actually help with designing and that work. And then I also got to do a bulldog brick, which is on one of the elevations of the residential colleges. I actually have a sample of it here. Oh, yeah. Lovely. Yeah, thank you. Very nice. There, there, I think you see the more. Yes. Nice. So it sounds like the smaller details, actually, is something that really interests you. Yeah, I think so. It goes back to, like, when I, like, I did my woodworking class, I finished my chair. That was, like, the sense of, I finished it. The sense of accomplishment. It's, like, so quick, so fast. Mm-hmm. That you know you were able to 
able to do it. And same with the stained glass and same with screen printing because you'd be able to do and make so many things so quickly. I think that was the project I feel like that made. Like my best time at. Yeah, I get that because architecture is a pretty long game and it's hard to feel rewarded in the daily things that you do. And there's so many, you know, working for 10 years now, it seems like you have so little to show for it because Mm -hmm. just it takes so long. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, Yeah. it's harder to stay, I think, motivated when there aren't these little rewards along the way or you have to find them along the process. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and then the projects go on hold and then, like, the client didn't like this or, like, you're just like, ah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. There it goes. I'd like to actually talk more about your stained glass because I forgot you did that till you mentioned it. And I think that's really interesting in your development. I feel like the start of the semester I got back from Barcelona. I started working and it was just down the street in Bryan, Texas. A few architecture kids had been working there. And I figured, why not try this job? I feel like I had always had like an interest to it because I'd been to Saint Chapelle in Paris. We well, we we went. Yeah, I feel like we were on the same trip to to Paris, right? Uh, I think so. So I feel like that, and plus, obviously, growing up Catholic, you're on churches like twenty four seven, a lot of seeing the last. So, like you know, I'd always seen it. I'd always been pretty interested in it. So I was like, why not? It was like actually a really good idea because like it ended up carrying me over until grad school, which is which was pretty important, especially during that time. It was a pretty fun experience because we would call the artists up and they would send us over their design for whatever window that we were working on at that time, and then we would have to take it in CAD and draw in the lead lines and draw where we're going to divide the glass and how we're going to cut it because we have a piece of glass that's too large obviously it's going to break in transit or it's going to break while while we're making it so we had to cut it or we had to let it so that it wouldn't take away from the overall composition it was like working in CAD and then taking that and then printing it out then cutting out the stencils for each piece of glass cutting the glass letting it and then putting it which I did a lot because I was outside I remember you mentioning you're outside doing a lot of it on a ladder yeah, and then installing it, which was, ugh, which was a lot of fun, but I wasn't really harnessed in or strapped to anything, and I was carrying like you know this twenty pound window on a slippery metal roof. It was just a recipe for disaster. I remember talking to you a few times that summer, I think, and you were telling me like you weren't strapped in and you were on some rickety roof, and I would just be like, "Oh my gosh, I hope oh, he doesn't God. fall and hurt himself." OSHA only said that's what I did. <laughs> but I, I made it. I'm alive. Yeah. yeah, well, I got to see a lot of working with the artists there. I got to see how paint was applied, how it would get fired, how you would facet glass, how you would sand it, how you would work with it. We did what you wanted it to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Especially, and working with lead, too. And I, I don't think I had lead poisoning or lead in my blood yet. <laughs> was it mostly <laughs> for churches? It was. It was mostly for churches. We did several schools several universities in texas it was mainly for churches and a lot of restoration to older churches that had like these giant tiffany windows that needed to be restored 
And then I wanted to also back up and talk about Barcelona a little bit. Uh-oh. I mean, if you just had yeah. to summarize that time, oh, that like was... what you took away from it. So, so much. It was like overload, like 24-7, because I had never been out of the country until then. It was also really interesting because I was seeing the things that we had been studying this whole time. I was like, what on earth? I'm like in front of the Macua, or like I'm in front of Sagrada Familia, or like I'm in front of the Eiffel Tower. It was like overload. I feel like the trip to the Netherlands was mm-hmm. my favorite. Just because it was so much, the country's like tiny, so you get like a really nice cross section of like, we started in Amsterdam, the old city. And they went to Rotterdam, the new city, and then Utrecht, and then The Hague. You really got to see a lot of the country, and a lot of it that was very different from one another. I thought that trip specifically was one of my favorite. And then we ended up like in the North Sea. We walked along the dikes. Absolutely, and, uh, yeah. And the Netherlands, we're looking at the windmills. Yeah. That was my favorite trip. You get to appreciate one modernism, really good urbanism bicycle riding and really good food all in one place and I think this is especially important for us because we obviously coming from Texas and coming from the south we're all used to having your car having your living in the suburbs and living out far away from the downtown area I mean I had never seen urbanism like that until then yeah that was great I mean I hadn't even been to New York yet before mm-hmm. I went to, to Europe I resonate with what you're saying about the Netherlands, if there was one part that I could take away, it was probably the two weeks we spent there. When I saw work that I liked in school before we went on that trip, it seemed like it was always in the Netherlands. Like the architects were in the Netherlands. And I was like, okay, there's something about this country that just really knows design. And it seemed to infiltrate like all aspects of their life. Like everyday objects were well-designed. And then, like, you're right, seeing yeah. the urbanism in that way where people are riding their bike and they go to the grocery store every day and grab just what they need for the day and just enjoying, the, like, the culture outside of your private space and people coming together in more of a community. I yeah, really yeah, appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Culture. yeah, so I think I agree with you on that trip. It was just eye-opening. What do you see for yourself in the next 10 years? I need to churn out these exams, one, obviously being licensed, and then possibly working or starting to pick up projects that I had left behind in grad school, like stuff that I had worked on, some of the products that I did or some of the furniture that I did and seeing where that could take me. Do you see yourself in New York? I want to say part time but yes I do yeah it seems to fit you yeah yeah I do though very much enjoy going to Texas and spending time with my family and seeing everybody though in Austin and in Dallas and then of course Brownsville I would like the scenario of being able to spend time and work down there too I feel the same way. I'd like to do part time here and part time in Texas. Right, because it's a special place to go home. Yeah, yeah, it is. It really is. I really like going down and spending time down there. Yeah, there's some energy there. I can't describe it, but it's just always going to be home. 
And yeah, I think that's what it is. I think that's what it is because I feel like people think of Texas up here and they have like things that they think of, but to me it's different. Well, cool. Yeah, that was all the questions that I had. Thank you so much. Are you sure you even have anything else? Well, do you have anything else? I have one more. One of the pinnacles of architecture school is the all-nighter. How many all-nighters do you think you pulled during your time at a and I feel Oh, there were a lot that I pulled at a That summer by itself, a good three or four, mm-hmm. just that one summer. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I lost count. And then like at <laughs> RISD, three hours was like luxurious. It was like, wow. <laughs> to get three hours of sleep at RISD was yeah. nuts. Well, hopefully you're getting better sleep now. <laughs> no, I actually have a mandatory bedtime now of 11 o'clock. Nice. So regardless of it's a city that never sleeps. It's important. I go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> that was my last question. Uh, this was fun. Yeah. I wrote this down a year ago as like a book project. And then I was like, okay, I'll do a podcast. And then I remember talking to you. You and Aaron Peavy were like, do it. I, I'm so glad you guys did that. Well, thanks for talking. Thanks for including me in this in this story. Well, I'll talk to you well, soon about the trip. Yeah, look Get... forward to having you here. All right, have a good night. Have a good night. Bye. Carlos has set himself up well in his architecture career by working at two high-profile firms. They are definitely great resume boosters in our industry and will serve him well in future endeavors. I remember finding out about Norman Foster and realizing there was an aesthetic out there that I identified with. Beautiful forms and purposeful structural expression that resulted in humble statements in the sky. Stay tuned next week for episode six, where I interview an architect turned mom who now practices fine art and fosters creativity in her kids. Next time on 10 Colleagues, 10 Years.